Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Pens Cast Mailbag. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna. As always, alongside me, fellow Pensburg contributor and co-host of the Pens Cast, now affiliated with the Skating Penguin Network and fans for Sports Network, it's Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's mailbag? From a personal standpoint, uh, pretty good. From a uh, fan standpoint, not great, but hey. Uh, that kind of seems to be the theme of the season, but I mean, it's a beautiful day outside uh, today here in uh, outside of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, a little on the chilly side, but the sun is shining uh, and it looks like it's going to be a couple nice days here. So I'm going to enjoy that and pretend that the penguins don't exist. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood as we celebrate Mr. Rogers' 95th birthday today. He would have turned 95 today, but uh, we'll turn our attention. Instead of talking about Mr. Rogers, we'll we'll talk about uh, the Penguins and some of your questions that the listeners have regarding the Pittsburgh Penguins. If you're a first-time listener of the Penscast Mailbag and you'd like to contribute to this Mailbag episode, you can do so by following the Skating Penguin Network on Twitter at PenguinsFFSN and and give Fans First Sports Network a follow on Twitter as well, at Fans First SN. This will be the first episode that officially goes live, that we are officially affiliated with Fans First Sports Network. All of the behind-the-scenes technical things that we had to get done are officially done. We are officially no longer affiliated with SB Nation or Vox Media. Fans First Sports Network is getting off the ground, and we hope that you join us at the Skating Penguin Network. And you like what you're listening to week in and week out with the Penscast Mailbag and the new show that will premiere on every Friday as well that you've grown accustomed to. Robbie, as always, whenever we did and do mailbags, uh, you always get question number one. That's no different here. We'll start out with question number one. That comes from Brian. The Athletics Hockey Podcast mentioned adding an award to the defenseman with the best offensive season and naming it either the Paul Coffey or Bobby Orr Award. What do you think about this potential for the best offensive defenseman? Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea um, because, I mean, would it be an award you voted on or would it just be like the Art Ross where it goes to the highest scoring player? You figured that logically is how it would come out. Um, then does that mean that Norris goes back to a, a true, what the ward says, true best defenseman? But, I mean, it's hard to argue that the highest score isn't the best defenseman. Uh, there's no reason that Kale McCarr should be knocked because maybe his defensive play isn't as good as his offensive play. That's just how good he is. But if you want to recognize the best offensive defenseman, uh, I think that's completely fair. And then if you want to make the Norris – uh, more of a defensive award. I, I think that can be fair as well. I don't hate the idea. I just, if you, if you, are you going to go? Cause I like, technically, I guess you have an art Ross award for the best forward and you have a lady Bing tr- or not a lady Bing, the Selkie award for the best uh, two way forward. Uh, so I guess that, that way it works. You have an award for best uh, defenseman being the Norris and best offensive defenseman being uh, like the, like you said, the coffee award or the, uh, or award, yeah, I understand uh, where they're coming from then. And I think it could be an interesting idea to play around with uh, because maybe there are times where a defenseman gets the award solely on his offensive performance. Uh, you know, Eric Carlson uh, did that, was not the best defensive defenseman, uh, whereas guys that, like a just an example, a Brian Dumlin in his prime, maybe would have gotten more recognition if there was a defenseman-focused uh, award rather than kind of getting swallowed up in the uh, by the guys that were complete offensive forces 
that easily won the Norris Trophy just because they put up the big numbers. So, yeah, and, and an interesting idea. And I think that obviously there's a lot of great uh, defensemen in NHL history that it could be named after. Again, they mentioned Bobby Orr and Paul Coffey. I think Orr would probably be uh, the easy shoe-in for that name. But, yeah, interesting idea, and I think it's something that uh, it's fun to play around with because the forwards kind of have an award like that, uh, whereas the defensemen, it all kind of gets shoehorned into the Norris Trophy. So, yeah, interesting idea that could potentially help the defensive side get a little, little more recognition than they do because the offensive side of the game uh, catches everyone's eye and the voters see that and they kind of – maybe uh, lean toward that when casting their ballots. Question number two, again, from uh, Brian. Uh, I recently saw a poll on Instagram where it was asked which duo was better, uh, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl or prime Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. It had 64% for McDavid and Dreisaitl. I think that's more the younger fans not knowing how dominant prime Sid and Malkin were. Crazy to think about. Even for me, I'm younger than you, Robbie, but even, even so, I mean, Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin's primes were at least 10 years ago, and 10 years ago, 2013, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, they were around, but uh, especially with, with my generation, I'm sounding like an old man now, but my generation has really taken to use social media a lot more frequently and interact more, and that's what that's that's kind of the direction that a lot of these sports leagues have, have taken is uh, trying to grow a, 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 their platform on social media. It's crazy to think about because if you go back in time, I mean, Sidney Crosby has several 100-point seasons as recently as 2018-19, but in terms of total point production, I mean, he had 120 points his second year in the league, 36 goals, 84 assists. He came in his rookie season, had over 100 points, 39 goals, 109 points, 2009-10. Evgeny Malkin, I believe, won his MVP season. Um, I think his MVP season was 2011-2012. He had 50 goals that year. He had 113 points uh, throughout 82 games in 2008-2009, the year they won their first Stanley Cup. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy to think that Prime, Crosby, and Malkin – was roughly 10-ish years ago. And of course, Crosby having to deal with the concussion issues throughout the, uh, that was the 2011-2012 season or 2010-2011 season, around there as well. But still, we were essentially robbed of what Crosby, what kind of crazy season Crosby could have had uh, had he not been taken out by David Steckel and you know getting that re-aggravated a couple of games later and forcing him to miss all that time, the will-he-won't-he saga of Crosby returning. Thankfully, he did. And uh, Crosby, I believe, if, uh, if I remember correctly from the broadcast, he has now tied Wayne Gretzky Crosby has for 18 straight seasons with registering a point per game. So that is just continued, continued dominance by one of the best to ever do it in Sidney Crosby. But yeah, I, I think to, to your point, Brian, this just has to do with Dreisaitl and McDavid basically developing and growing up in the NHL in the social media age more than it does than Sid and Gino, and I don't want to date myself or Robbie, but as we get older, yeah, we're, we 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 realize we aren't the prime demographic for who they're trying to attract on Instagram and those kinds of things. But yeah, uh, if you are a younger fan listening to this, perhaps my age or younger than me, just starting to get into the sport, go back and look at some of the highlight tapes from 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011 
that that era of penguins hockey it was certainly something to behold and you know so glad that we still have them producing at such an elite level today question number three also from brian News broke last week that the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League is banning all fighting starting in the 2023-24 season. Do you think this this rule will eventually reach the NHL, and do you think fighting should be banned in any league? I mean, I understand banning it in a junior-type setting because it's, it's just a little bit different. It's tough to tell players that are getting paid in the pros that they can't fight. Um, again, there's penalties involved. Obviously, it's even tough to suspend. Like, I mean, in some leagues that when they fought uh, in the junior ranks, you'd be suspended for a game or two. Uh, now the queue is straight up uh, banning it altogether. And I think at the professional level, you kind of seen what the NHL was hoping for, that it would just organically kind of phase itself out. And fighting has done exactly that. If you think back... How many fights do you think you you even see a year? How much is drastically reduced just in the last five years? And then go back 10 for every five years to see how much it is drastically, from a spectator standpoint, fallen off. You don't see the fighting outside of outside of your big melees that still happen. But you're never, I don't think, ever going to get rid of that, even if you quote-unquote ban fighting. You just don't see the scraps much anymore. And... It's just organically kind of worked itself out. The the guys that were the grinders or the uh, enforcers is not really a, a something that every team carries. It's not really a position that is in the NHL much anymore. Yeah, you get guys here and there, um, but even like Ryan Reeves, not really in the NHL anymore. Uh, Tom Wilson, not really. I mean, he has the offensive skill to stay in the league. He's not a, a fight first kind of guy. You just don't see those scraps really happening anymore at least not maybe in 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 reaction to a bad hit or or in jordan biddington's case just being mad all the time uh it just you just don't see the uh the scrapping nearly as much and i think that the nhl figured it's going to organically work itself out of the game and it kind of has done that and you just don't see the fights at the level that what you once saw and so I don't think there's really a need to straight up ban it anymore because it's just no longer a a major aspect of the professional game. Question number four, again from Brian. Uh, since we have some new question askers here, I want to reiterate that Garrett and I are here for Domi to the Pens this offseason and really here for bringing home our lost son, Jordan Stahl. So this is this has kind of been an ongoing thing for Brian and I a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about hypothetical trade acquisitions. I brought up the the possibility of at the time acquiring Max Domi and or Jordan Stahl. Since the trade deadline, Max Domi has been traded. He was traded to the Dallas Stars, and in eight games, he's registered a goal and two assists, three points, and he's a minus four. So maybe not the having the, the greatest offensive impact, but yeah, both players are still slated to be unrestricted free agents. And uh, if we have the kind of uh, personnel turnover, perhaps executive turnover as well, if we're talking about 
Ron Hextall. Uh, you know, maybe Max Domi and Jordan Stahl. I'm still conducting the Jordan Stahl to Pittsburgh train. Don't worry about that. Uh, the, the train is going to make several stops throughout the summer as we try and bring Jordan Stahl back to Pittsburgh. But uh, at this point, yes, I think Domi and Stahl would help immensely considering the the Penguins' recent struggles on a three-game losing streak. And they are their their odds are in their favor of clinching a playoff spot. But my God, Robbie, I mean, that has to be this is probably the least excited we've been for the Penguins making a postseason berth in what feels like forever. Uh, I was just talking to my dad the other day that because of the roster the way it is, I'd almost rather them miss out and just get a lottery pick because whoever they play in the first round is just going to get they're going to annihilate the Penguins. It's the same players night in and night out who are continually causing harm to the Penguins and their chances of officially clinching a playoff berth and considering themselves as legitimate contenders. So, uh, yes, I'm, I'm still very much for 28-year-old Max Domi. Bring him to Pittsburgh. Bring Jordan Stahl home for the the reunion. Give me all the nostalgia. I'm all for it as we head towards this offseason, an offseason that is hopefully, fingers crossed, one filled with a lot of change as we look to maximize the final years of the Crosby-Malkin era. Question number five comes from Snail. What a name, Snail. An off-season mm-hmm. trade idea Snail has. What about some sort of package of picks and players to the Vancouver Canucks for uh, J.T. Miller and uh, I think the, the defenseman's name is Ethan Bear or J.T. Miller and Connor Garland? Who would you entertain being shipped out for a wish list type of player that makes sense for the win now Pittsburgh Penguins. So getting guys shipped out is much easier said than done, given what the contracts that, I mean, fingers crossed the new GM will be working with this off season. And again, the names sound good. JT, again, JT Miller's contract is just absurd. Ethan bear. Uh, I think his numbers are pretty good, especially his underlying numbers. And Garland was kind of been on the, Wishlist for Penguins fans for uh, the, almost a better part of a year at this point. It's just so hard to project what the Penguins' plan is this offseason because it's everything feels such a mess. You have obviously you have your core three: uh, Crosby, Malkin, Latang coming back. Gensel and Russ, you have to think are coming back. You have to think that uh, Ra- Raquel's not going anywhere. So there's that. Jason Zucker is a free agent. Does he come in at a price that you can afford? Because you, the argument's right there that he's been their best forward this year, and I can't really say anything against that because I think that's been completely true outside of Crosby and Malkin. Jason Zucker's absolutely been your third most important defenseman. Some nights your best player on the ice uh, overall. The bottom six is a complete, just absolute nightmare. Nothing. My, Michael Granlin has two years at five million left after this. Maybe they can find a way to move that if they feel necessary. Jeff Carter still has a year left and something bad there. And then defensively, Marcus Pedersen, you expect to be back. But after that, I mean, is Jeff Petrie going to be trade bait? Brian Dumlin likely gone. A bunch of guys on that lower tier there. P.A.O. Joseph, uh, the future of the blue line back there. What's Ty Smith's status? So there's so many questions just as the roster is currently constructed that have to be answered before we can talk bringing in big names, but I do think that if the situation arises with a new general manager, I think you're going to see some uh, some overhaul on this roster. You're going to have to to be to be competitive, uh, like the Penguins should be competitive. So those names, obviously, are guys you're going to be mixed in 
uh, especially JT Miller. Uh, it was very, his name was very, uh, very hot connected to the Penguins during the trade deadline. Garland's a guy that the Penguins of uh, Penguins fans have at least wanted uh, for the better part of a year. So what they have to trade, I guess we'll find out, but um, there's definitely going to be some turnover. It just depends on uh, how much they have to give up to get rid of some of these contracts to bring new guys in. Uh, question number six, we, we jump back to Brian here. Uh, recent power rankings came out and the Penguins are 14th. Is it shocking that we were that high considering how inconsistent this team is? Power rankings, depending on where you get them, they could be all over the place. But 14th, that that does seem relatively high. But at the same time, I'm looking at the Penguins, uh, the, the standings in terms of wild card positioning right now. The Penguins are still... Uh, still hold on to the second wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. They still have two games in hand on the New York Islanders, who are ahead of them. They have the first wild card spot with 80 points. The Penguins have 78 points right now. 14th. That, however, that seems about right because what half the league makes the playoffs, and you're putting the Penguins in that very, very, very low rung on the the lower end of that half that would make the playoffs, that would clinch. So I'd probably put the Penguins somewhere around there. Uh, but boy, if with the losers of three straight, uh, if things don't pick up and pick up quickly, uh, that, that stove, you can start to feel some of the heat coming off of that stove. And uh, boy, if they don't pick things up, especially tonight against, I think they're going against the Senators tonight. The, the weekend they had against the Rangers was just abysmal, just and the cherry on top was that 6 nothing loss. But power ranking-wise, right now, like I said earlier, the things are in their favor to... The math is in their favor to clinch that playoff spot. However, it's shrinking by the day. And with more losses piling up, it could get even smaller, especially with the Florida Panthers uh, nipping at the Penguins' heels. So 14th right now for general power ranking for conversation's sake. Yeah, I, I, I'd say that's... That's accurate right now on March 20th, but it can change on a dime considering how poorly the Penguins have played recently. Question number seven for you, Robbie, comes from Noah Jordan. Given Mike, Mike Sullivan's refusal to sit Carter and or Brian Dumoulin and his insistence to continue to rely on both of these players in key situations, is it time to part with both Hextall and Mike Sullivan in the offseason? I mean, Hextall, I think you can talk about as much as we want. And I think the conclusion is always going to be the same that, yeah, it's time to move on from Ron Hextall. And it's clear that he's not up to the task of what this team needs to be right now and what this franchise needs to be, which is still contending for Stanley Cups. Mike Sullivan, I kind of gave him the benefit of the doubt that he's playing, that he can only work with the roster he's given. But there are moves that can be made that simply removing those guys from the lineup, even if you aren't replacing them with superstars, they're more of an a addition by subtraction kind of scenario. And he seems uh, so gung-ho on making sure that not only are those guys getting a jersey every game, but they're being played in crucial, crucial uh, instances of each game. And that is the deployment is inexcusable. It just feels like unless he is purposely trying to get Ron Hextall fired, it is just, it's a train bound for nowhere and it's going to cost him his job. And if the deploy, if, if he's purposely sabotaging this team to get Ron Hextall fired, then I'm sorry, that's not good enough. And really, even if he's not the, just the deployment alone and using these guys in the situation that he is, 
It's completely inexcusable. We know what the issues are. We can all see it with our own two eyes that it's just beyond frustrating at this point and really uh, just overall inexcusable uh, for a uh, supposed one of the best coaches in hockey. So Hextall easily out the door. And I think that uh, if they get a new general manager, that general manager could easily say, hey, I want to bring in my own guys and uh, very well could be uh, nearing the end of uh, Mike Sullivan's tenure uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, question number eight, again from Snail. Uh, with lots of money coming off the books this summer after a roller coaster season, it's safe to assume major shakeups to the roster, and hopefully the front office uh, is inevitable. For conversation's sake, what are your thoughts on a blockbuster trade like Gensel for Huberto? I, I wouldn't do Gensel for Huberto. Maybe if, if you could, were able to get someone who's maybe four or five years younger who can produce like a Gensel, again, that's a lot to ask for. But looking at your question, Snail, I, I think anyone who's not named Crosby, Malkin, Latang, and Gensel, this come, in this offseason, upcoming offseason, those four players right there are off the table. Anyone else, feel free to trade away. Uh Jake Gensel is on an expiring contract, and he's very much due for a raise. This year, 65 games played, 30 goals, 32 assists, 62 points, almost a point-per-game player, 403 points throughout 440 NHL career games. So he is very much due for the raise that he was making. Uh, Jim Rutherford signed him to a $6 million uh, cap hit, uh, an extension of over, I think it was five five years, starting at the 2019 2020 season so uh Gensel is very much deserving of that and I would put money on the fact that the Penguins whether it's Ron Hextall or a new general manager is going to extend Jake Gensel uh to be here to finish Crosby and Malkin's career that that is how certain I am I'm willing to put money down on that but for for a trade if you're including Gensel in a trade See, Huberdeau is 28, 29. Gensel's going to be 29 at the start of next season. JT Miller's already 30. If you're going to get someone who's four or five years younger than Gensel who can produce on a similar level, it's going to cost uh, probably more hefty assets in addition to Gensel to try and get younger and equally more productive than what you have in Jake Gensel right now. So I would keep Gensel. I wouldn't trade him, not for Huberdeau, not for Miller. I would. I mean, you already have a bona fide top six winger who has instant made chemistry with Sidney Crosby. I wouldn't be trying to disrupt that, uh, even though he is due for a contract this summer. However, anyone else that I didn't mention, Raquel, Rust, Dumoulin, Jari even, all those guys, I would put all, all of them on that list of open to be traded. Pedersen even. I know he's had a tremendous season, but... For the sake of a shakeup and for the sake of this conversation, yeah, those are my untouchables. The rest to get more salary cap space to basically retool this roster. You can have your pick of any of them who you want. Question number nine for you, Robbie. Would you like any of the 1990s brands back into the current hockey landscape? For Brian, it is to get Nike back into the fold and to bring back the old school Jofa helmets. Uh, yeah, the old school Jopa helmets. Oh man, those things were uh, pretty hideous. And uh, kind of, this is going to be a uh, kind of a topic around the NHL here in the coming uh, year or so because Adidas is backing out of the uh, jersey the jersey uh, game, and they will no longer be producing the NHL uh, game jerseys. So that contract is going to be uh, open again. It'll be interesting to see uh, where exactly the NHL goes with it. 
Um, I know that the fear from a lot of uh, people who are tuned in uh, to this kind of thing are that Fanatics jumps in uh, and takes that contract, which, yeah, probably not a great idea. Uh, If you own any Fanatics branded gear, uh, you're probably familiar with the uh, quality not exactly being top-notch all the time, and they've kind of made everybody that buys sports memorabilia online just hate their absolute guts. They're terrible customer service. They have basically a monopoly on where you want to buy sports gear for team gear. Um, They run all the team shopping sites. They run all the major sport league uh, shopping sites. I know the Steelers have their own store where you can buy from, which is really nice. Uh, The only other place that I can really think of, uh, you can get stuff from Dick's online, but Dick's is a uh, a retail seller, not a someone who makes the equipment. 47 brand, uh, you can buy their stuff. They do uh, make their own clothes and stuff. So, I, I mean, I don't know if they're really into the jersey thing, but um, they do a more kind of throwback look on their clothes. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see where they go with the, the jersey sponsors, not the jersey sponsorship, but the jersey makers uh, here once this contract with Adidas is fully up because Adidas is not going to be re-upping. Uh, so uh, Nike could get back into it. Uh, maybe you'll see CCM back on the jerseys. Uh, it's tough to say exactly, but uh, the Jofa lids are definitely a a thing of the 90s. And personally, I think they should stay there. Uh, but yeah, it'll be if you want to see what brands could potentially uh, come into the NHL market, keep an eye on uh, the jersey news in the coming years here uh, to see what the NHL plan is for who's going to be making the sweaters once the Adidas contract is up. Uh, tenth and final question is uh, from Brian once again. Uh, who is the greatest pop-punk singer of all time? I love getting questions related to pop-punk. Uh, <laughs> well, I've compiled a list of oh, some boy. some vocalists. I mean, my personal bias is probably going to go to Tom DeLonge of Blink-182, but I was looking. You have Tom DeLonge and Mark Hoppus, both of Blink-182, that they've both carved out really successful careers as writers and vocalists with DeLong doing both Blink and Angels and Airwaves and Hoppus doing both Blink and Plus 44 uh, in the mid-2000s, as well as other writing and vocal credits on uh, a bunch of like side projects and cameo appearances on different other, other different albums. Billy Joe Armstrong, uh, of course, has to be included on any list when talking about pop punk or punk vocalists. Haley Williams from Paramore, uh, that was another name that instantly came to my mind. Parker Cannon from uh, The Story So Far, and if you're looking for new age pop punk, Parker Cannon's new side project, uh, No Pressure, I think their debut uh, de- debut album came out in 2021, the summer of 2021 or 2022, I think. It's pretty recent. Patrick Stump from Fall Out Boy. If you consider Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco, R.I.P., if you consider their first album really pop punk vibes, I know a lot of people hold that first album from Panic at the Disco at high regard and really sort of paved the way for the genre as a whole in the mid to late 2000s. So I think Brendan Urie has a great voice. Uh, Sad to see that Panic has decided to close up shop uh, in the near future, but my my personal bias is going to lead towards Tom DeLonge and that, that nasally Southern California, San Diego kind of voice that has become memed. If your voice... If your voice is so iconic that it has become memed across social media, I mean, you've obviously done something right and you've left some sort of mark on whatever whatever it is you, you've done professionally. So I'll go Tom DeLong, but 
again, any of the other vocalists that I've mentioned, you, you could make the argument for greatest pop punk singer of all time. But okay, what what a what a fantastic way to to end this week's edition of the Penscast Mailbag. Again, if you're interested and you want to follow along as we continue to grow the Penscast, we continue to grow the Skating Penguin Network. Follow us on Twitter. Be sure to follow us and interact with us on Twitter. The Skating Penguin Network can be found at Penguins FFSN. And be sure to give Fans First Sports Network a follow as well at Fans First SN. This podcast will go live on Tuesday, March 21st, and we'll be back later in the week for the traditional news episode surrounding the latest happenings and goings-on with the free-falling Pittsburgh Penguins. But until then, I have been Garrett Bahanna. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Penscast Mailbag, and we will talk to all of you again this time next week.